We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. It is, and thank you uh, for having some uh, backup ready for us so that we could do this. So first of all, I just want to start by uh, introducing us uh, for people who may not know who we are. So why don't you start by giving a little background about yourself, Tom? Sure. Hey, everybody. Tom Murray here, Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools uh, nationally in my day job, but uh, spent my entire career up until a handful of years ago uh, in K-12 as an elementary teacher, a middle school teacher, a middle school principal, an elementary principal, district level where I oversaw high school as well as being a tech director. So I obviously couldn't keep a job. So like now I work out of Washington, D.C. Makes sense, right? So it's awesome to hang with you all for just a little bit, dive into some questions. Um, I wish this feature was a little bit more interactive for you all, um, the video and that kind of thing, but certainly leverage the chat because I know that you have that and uh, hopefully have some good conversation. I'm not here because I've got all the answers in the world. I would just run from people like that or have that thought. I'm here to simply help throw, you, throw some resources your way um, and be able to connect with some questions and some really good questions because we're living in some challenging times. Absolutely. And my name is Jethro Jones. I am the host of the Transformative Principal Podcast. Um, also been a uh, middle school teacher, district level support principal from kindergarten through 12th grade. And so uh, also like Tom, have a hard time keeping a job. So <laughs> I know how that goes. Um, really excited to be here today. This is also going to be broadcast on my podcast, Transformative Principal, um, here uh, in just a little bit. So that it'll be broadcast on Transformative Principle as well. Um, excited to be talking with you guys today. We've got a few questions that we're going to go over. Um, one of the things that I want to uh, mention right as we get started, um, Tom, you've got a new podcast that you just started. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and tell us what that is? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hey, everybody, I'd love for you guys to throw in the chat kind of who you are, where you're from. Sometimes with screen names, obviously it doesn't tell a whole lot, but just would love to, to get some conversation going there. Just keep that flow. It's really isn't meant to be like 
Tom and Jethro presenting, but more of just conversation, doing a little problem solving, and hopefully I can throw some resources your way. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned, running Future Ready Schools nationally, uh, we are bipartisan nonprofit. We don't sell a darn thing. There's no sales pitch. But we just launched a podcast this week. It is going to be all superintendents and principals to start. Uh, we've got about 15 episodes in the queue, releasing every Tuesday and Friday. So Tuesday was Marlon Stiles, superintendent, Middletown City Schools in Ohio, 100% free and reduced lunch district. And how are they overcoming things like like equity, what does that look like? You know, talk about fear, those kinds of things. And I got another one dropping tomorrow with uh, Rosa Perez Isaiah, amazing, amazing district leader in California. Encourage you to check that out. You can go to futureready.org slash podcast. I'll throw that here in the chat. Um, it's audio on basically every channel and video as well. Check it out. It's 15 minutes meant to be encouraging, inspiring, give you some ideas. But really, my goal with it all is to just give people hope. Because one of the things I know about us all right now, we need some serious hope out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I'm all about. So thanks for the shout, Jethro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and something that I just recently uh, released as well is an opportunity for schools who are having different types of graduation ceremonies to connect with uh, guest speakers. We know that graduation is not going to be the same for everybody. So I create a website to connect people with uh, guest speakers who could come and give commencement addresses pre-recorded, send them to you so that you can have them. That's guestcommencementspeeches.com. And I want to put that out there right now because I think it's really important for us to know that things are different and we need some help figuring those things out. And that's why we're doing this right now. That's why I created that site. That's why Tom created this podcast. So we got a lot of uh, opportunities there to, to help you out. So I hope you'll check out uh, futureready.org slash podcast and guestcommencementspeeches.com. Now that we got a bunch of people here, let's uh, go ahead and get started with our questions. So our first one comes from uh, Karen Lee Corbell, and she is, like most school leaders, is trying to connect with all of her students and is, is struggling with that, as is understandable. So they've got um, Class Dojo, Google Classroom, personal cell phone for texting and phone calls, personalized video messages, snail mail, private Facebook page, Google Meets, and got a lot of kids. Um, uh, but some just aren't available. So what can we do to reach out to these kids who, uh, who it doesn't seem like we're able to connect with them? How, how should we be connecting when we're already doing all these different things? Yeah, so right now I would say that's a great question. And, and I guarantee every person that's on this, this webinar can relate to that. If you're a teacher, if you're a principal, I was working with a, uh, about 100 principals this morning, and that was one of the top issues, especially at high school. Like, how do we track down these kids that didn't do it? One of the things I think that's important to know, um, so in my background, I actually ran a virtual program as part of our public schools, K-12, in my last couple of years in the district there. Um, and so I will tell you, like, this is, number one, is give yourself enough grace to recognize this is, this, there is so much going on here that we're not going to flip the switch and be perfect overnight. So, so give yourself enough grace to recognize like we are going to have these bumps in the roads and it's okay. Like if you can put your head on the pillow at night saying like, I've done everything that I can, like kudos to you. And one of the things I know about educators is you're exactly that kind of people, that, that type of people is, you know, doing whatever you can in those regards. So, so I would say, you know, in, in everything that you just listed, I was trying to process all the different tools clearly on that question. They're, they're like, her mindset is like, I'm doing everything I can and I'm still not getting it. So first I will say, yes, there's going to be a point where like, it might just not happen. And if you can put your head on the pillow knowing you've done everything you can, like, 
breathe easy because like you've done everything that you can. But I think we need to do a couple things. Number one is we need to make sure we don't have a whole lot of assumptions right now. We assume everything. Like if you're an educator on this call, I would make an assumption that you're still getting a paycheck. So what if those families at home that, that we're referring to, what if mom and dad have both lost their job in the past couple of weeks? Math is not the first thing on their radar right now. They're worried about eating tonight. And so, you know, like, I think we need to have, make sure we're not making assumptions that the people that we're reaching out to have the same internet access and those kinds of things at home. But number two, I think now is the time more than ever for empathy and grace. Like there's a story there. And so one of the key pieces would be like, I think it's natural to make judgments. Like the parents don't care. They're disconnected. Like I, and it's, that's a natural human tendency. One of the things that I wrote about in personal and authentic in my last book is the idea of like the hidden stories within. So for every child that's not showing up for a period of time, like there's a story there. So maybe there's some connectivity issues. You know, one of the things through Future Ready um, and, and in my last book, Learning Transformed, hit it again in Personal and Authentic, is around this equity issue of connectivity. So one thing I would throw out is looking at, you know, it's about 12 million students, uh, K to 12, in our country don't have internet access at home. And so, you know, if you threw out a whole bunch of those digital tools, if that's the main method, I did notice, notice like I'm even trying phone calls, texting, those things as well. But when you take a look at those 12 million, by the way, disproportionately, it's our black and Hispanic families do not have internet access at home. Sometimes it's that last mile and because it's really rural, but other places it's more of like, hey, I can't afford it. And I will tell you, those numbers are gonna go way up when we've got unemployment. Like who's rocking the huge bill to the cable company when we are both out of work as mom or dad. So we've gotta have that on our radar. By the way, one resource I throw out right now is everyoneon.org. So everyoneon.org is, uh, is a team that we partner with. They're a nonprofit. If you look up your zip code, it'll actually give you, here's low cost providers in your area. It's a great resource for families. So the last thing that I would say is, you know, leverage the personnel around you. Obviously, I'm not sure if that was a teacher or a principal that answered that asked that question. I'm assuming it's a teacher because of referencing things like Google Classroom and whatnot. Um, after I say I'm assuming after I tell you don't make assumptions, right? But when we <laughs> when we think about that case there, I would say use every resource at your disposal, whether it's I would definitely be notifying my principal, hey, here's the people that I have not been able to connect with. Here's all the attempts that I make. And I think it's important to log that, um, not from a fear end, but just to show. And if there were questions down the road, like, Hey, I reached out 35 times in 35 days. I got nothing like, well, you've obviously done your job and gone out of your way. I mean, we got to make our principal aware of that number two. And, and not just like these people aren't responses, go fix it. Because having been that principal, it becomes the like, all right, now I've got 50 names. It's all my job. Like, so you're not abdicating control of that, but they need to be a vital part of that. Your school counselors, social workers, those folks, I would also give them an FYI. But I would also say one of the benefits we have right now, and nobody wants this scenario, but this isn't the first week of school. So in that question, like, you know those families, my guess is there's, you know something about those kids that's already going on. How do we elevate the stories and recognize it um, to do what's supportive? I know districts that are going, I was working with a good friend of mine, a guy named Joe Sanfilippo. We were recording something the other day and he was talking about, hey, you know, we're a rural school district in Wisconsin and they're going to people's houses. Now as a teacher, you know, if you're a high school teacher saying that, that might not be your role, but maybe the principal showing up just saying, hey, I wanna make sure they're okay. Because part of it could be this mindset of like, you know, like, well, why aren't they doing this? And, I'm, and maybe it's an access issue, but who knows? Like, who knows what's going on in that home? You know, maybe school was your safe place, like you were the safe place for them, and that's gone. And the flip side is some kids experience trauma at school, and now we're looking at it kind of differently because they're not getting bullied or they're not having racism and those kinds of things coming out their way. 
So in answering the question, going back to it, number one, it's you do everything that you can. It's our obligation to do every possible thing that we can. But number two, give yourself enough grace to recognize like you can't physically do it for them. But if you've leveraged all your resources, used as many different communication tools as you can, looked into things like connectivity, like do they not have connectivity? Is that part of the issue here? Um, and reached out, you know, calls and those kinds of things as well. But again, having empathy, if, if, if you don't know, maybe mom or dad are out of work, maybe there's no connectivity, maybe it's four kids trying to save on one computer and we're asking them, nope, you gotta do it at nine o'clock in the morning and they're trying to share one computer between four kids. Right now, there, there's a million reasons that could be going on. And with all the, the trauma, the chaos, the job loss, the economy, all those kinds of things, to be real, sometimes right now, school's the last thing on their, their mind. And we hate to say it, but I'm trying to empathize and put my shoes, put myself in their shoes in that regard. Great question. You are certainly not alone. The other thing that I would say to that, um, put my principal hat back on is, you know, not knowing the level of that question. If I'm a high school teacher asking that question or a middle school teacher asking that question, you're obviously not the only teacher that they have. So I'd be connecting to my colleagues and saying like, hey, are you, re are you connecting with Evan's family? I haven't heard anything. You know what's going on? And just kind of, because we would do that during the day as like a support team or that kind of thing on site. So any other people that normally have contact, um, are they reaching out? Is it working? And making sure that it's a collaborative and team effort. So from a teacher end, this is not just on you, but it is your job to do everything we can to support them. Yeah, I, I think that's all great advice. Um, in my uh, principal mastermind that I, where I coach principals, we were talking this week and one uh, principal talked about how she was, she was tracking student engagement. So she knew whether or not the kids were engaged for the purpose of making class lists for next year, anticipating that maybe next year we may not start together. So the original idea was, okay, let's just move everybody in a cohort right up to the next grade level. But then recognizing if one teacher is, you know, full of, has a classroom full of kids who aren't engaging, that's a big ask for her to be able to engage with every single one of those kids individually. And so spreading that out or making some different decisions, which she doesn't have the answer to yet, but at least thinking ahead and saying, what is it that I can do that will help me be successful with these kids next year if we don't get to go back to school in the same way that we typically have started? And so asking those questions and trying to figure out some different things, I think um, what, what you suggested, Tom, is a really, really excellent advice. The other thing I would add is, you know, you don't have to be in contact with them all the time. I think your main priority right now as a teacher or school leader is to make sure that your kids are safe and have what they need. And so um, I would strongly endorse going to visit them at their home and just making sure you see them and say, hey, haven't heard from you. I care a lot about you and wanted to make sure that everything is good and do that out of love and out of kindness and not out of, you know, we're, we're tracking you down and keeping track of you but really we wanna be here to support you as much as we can. And that approach, people love that. You know, when, when I was a principal in Kodiak, Alaska, we would go visit the home of every single kid before school started. And our students and families just loved that we were doing that because we were saying, we're willing to come out of our building and come down the street to your house and see you and say, we care about you and we're here for you. Yeah. And I think that that, is really important. Anything to add there, Tom? 
Yeah, a couple of things. One, um, when I was an elementary principal for three years, we did that for every kindergartner before they got to our building. Um, and then we sent up a follow-up. It was uh, in the summer prior to, but part of that was being really strategic in, yes, we're coming to you first and showing you that you matter, but the very first interaction, and so as people think about next year, the very first interaction was the principal and maybe a reading specialist, somebody showing up um, at the kindergartner's house saying like, we care about you and here's some swag and we're so excited to have you as a kindergartner. So that that way, that, that puts a little deposit in their emotional bank in the sense of when you've got to call home or if the kid's acting like a knucklehead and you've got to make that difficult call, whatever the case is, you've gone out of your way to start by showing so like that, that it matters. Here's why I share that. So in the conversation that we're having right now, it would be so easy and natural to call. And in the first 30 seconds, we're saying, I'm really concerned because Bobby hasn't like logged into the, to the Zoom in two weeks. If that's how we lead, right. I think we're misguided. Here's why. So I think back, I just referenced Joe Sanfilippo, full disclosure, one of my best friends, and he pushes my thinking all the time. And one of the things Joe said, and, and we were recording a po the podcast, and one of the things that he said is he's challenged his staff to ask two questions as the first two questions every time. Number one, how you doing? And number two, what is it that you need? Mm. Like I would probably reach out to those folks. And if you do finally get a hold of them and it's been three weeks, don't bring up math to start. Mm -mm. Just ask them how they're doing. What do you need? What can we do to help you? We're, we're, we miss you and we know this is an idea. What can we do to help you? And how many times will it lead to like, yeah, no, we haven't been logging in and we shouldn't be doing that. And then they start sometimes spilling the beans. And so keeping focused on people first, having empathy, understanding that the worlds that our kids are living in are vastly different quite often, not always, but vastly different than our current state. Maybe, you know, if, if you're somebody that grew up in poverty, maybe you've got a lot more empathy because you fully understand that right now. And so again, dependent on the level, use your support, use the resources you can and go to bed at night knowing that you're, you're doing the best you can. And when you can go to bed at night knowing you're just doing the best that you can consider it a success in that regard. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think about my family. I'm, I've got a master's degree. I'm a school principal. My wife is educated. She's got a bachelor's degree. Um, she doesn't work. She stays at home and takes care of the kids. That's wonderful. And we're very blessed and privileged to be in that position, right? We don't need the same level of support from the school as other kids who go to our school. And I would not be offended if we don't get everything that the school is possibly offering. This goes back to your piece about equity. Equity isn't giving everybody the same thing. It's giving those kids that need something what they need when they need it. And there's a difference between that and giving everybody the same thing. So, you know, my wife, she's like, okay, I'm pretty much done with Zoom meetings and I don't want to be doing this anymore. Um, but, you know, other kids may really need that and may really benefit. My daughter, for example, she wants to do the Zoom meetings because she wants to have that interaction with her peers and her friends and her teacher. And so, my wife doesn't want to do it anymore, but we still allow her to go do that because for her, that's something that she needs. And so we're able to do that. And my son, he's like, I'd be fine with never like doing a video call again. And so we're not pushing him to do that. So we're still staying in touch and making sure they know that we're, we're good, but we're not, you know, doing the exact same thing as everybody else. And so also recognize that, that families are in a different position and may have different needs and yeah desires for their kids learning. Yeah, and Jethro, as, as a former principal and, and you being a principal yourself, knowing um, we've got to take this exact conversation and make it a consideration and having empathy for our staff who's also trying to teach at home. 
you know, I have a, um, a fourth grader and a kindergartner at home. Um, I'm working full time doing my DC job working like from a, you know, working with with staff around the country doing those kinds of things there. If my wife wasn't a stay at home mom, and that's her choice, that's what she's wanted to do. She's fully handling like, especially my kindergartners education. If she was full time working right now as two educators, I have no idea how we would do it. I literally don't even we value education, obviously, but I have no idea how we we're doing it. So especially when they're younger, I will tell you, I mean, my son and daughter are totally different kids. My little girl's up before I am logged in, like doing assignments before I am. And I can tell you, I haven't looked at one thing she's done in the past month without saying, you okay, you need anything and I help it. Cause to me, it's helping push her to be independent. But the flip side, my kindergartner, like he can't read yet. He can't do the directions and go. So unless somebody's sitting side by side with him. And so I tell that on two ends. One is we're making a lot of assumptions about home support because maybe in your world you had it, but many of our kids may not. But number two, we also have to have empathy and understand like our teachers, many of them might have young kids at home or families at home that like, they're not just, Hey, here's my eight hour day that I can sit in a room and do all this independently. The reality of it is we've got to give them grace to understand too. Like if that they're a mom or a dad too, and they're tending to their little ones, we need to give them flexibility as well. Cause this isn't, you know, we, it's, we've, we've thrown out so many words around remote learning, distance learning. What this really is like, this is a, like, this is emergency learning. This is like, we've got to do the best that we can in the last number of the weeks through the school year to, to get out there, give the kids the best experience we can, but recognizing like you don't transform things to a deep levels of learning overnight. When I ran the virtual program for three years as a principal, I will tell you, it took us, honestly, about, it took me three years, years, not days, years to get to the point of like, I'm super comfortable with the level of teaching and learning. And so just recognizing if you're a principal or a superintendent, like we've got to give enough grace here of like, man, totally changing things, making them online, doing things remotely. We're going to have a decent amount of probably some low level stuff, even as a starting point. And you know what? That's okay. Because if we're making sure that we're connected to kids and we're showing them that they matter and we're doing everything we can to be with them, like baby steps here. And if you're a principal expecting the world on day one, like, you know, that person on your staff that like can't make the double-sided copies without the, with the staple and collate them, like they struggle doing that. And then two days later, we're like, go teach online full time. Right. Like we've got to support our staff here as well. And so principals, part of your legacy is like, how are you building your staff up? How are you encouraging your staff? How are you checking in on your staff and asking them the same questions? How are you doing? What do you need? How can I support you? Um, because this, this can be an amazing culture building opportunity, or this can be a complete culture killing opportunity in our schools. And so leadership that really rests on your shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go on to the next question from Colleen Hardiman. And she asks, what kind of data should we be collecting and paying attention to right now? Yeah, so that to me, that's a, it's a, it's a great question, but it's also a double-edged sword. And so you, uh, in my opinion, so Jethro, you had mentioned earlier, uh, you had shared in your mastermind group, somebody was talking about like engagement data. So my pushback on that would be, we've got to be uber careful here because like we could be measuring how much support do they have at home? So what's the data we're grabbing? So on one hand, yeah, data could be, this kid hasn't logged in for two weeks. Something's not right here. I need to do something about that. So that's your calls, your phone calls, your, you know, all those kinds of things that we just had that discussion. But the flip side, I would be uber careful around like grading in certain things right now. I know, listen, many of you, unless you're the superintendent making the call on your own, like I know it comes down from above here, but so, I, I am so fearful right now of things that are being like uberly graded because that's the way that we've done it 
And many times it literally just could be that we're grading the amount of support that they have at home. Like even at the high school level, I was, uh, I was working with assistant principals earlier today and they were talking like, that's the key issue. Like they wanted to use points and take the points off. Like, first of all, like literally Yale and the Ivy league schools have gone past fail in the last number of weeks because they recognize like, we can only do so much here. So I know you probably, if you're on here, you probably don't control your grading policy and all that. I mean, there's another assumption, but I'm making it that. So we've got to do the best under the parameters that we're asked to work in for sure. But at the same time, maybe I'm a high school geometry teacher and that child that, well, whatever, that 10th um, graders home with their parents who happen to be architects sitting side by side, doing all the work for them. Every assessment's a hundred because they're checking it, showing where they got it wrong. Like, do those grades really reflect what a child no one can do? Uh, not in that case. It could be what their parents and then no one can do. So we've got to be really careful about that. So I would say any data that we collect should really be used in this case to help the child in the best that we can. If it's the mindset that we're going to collect data or take off points to penalize kids, that's a really slippery slope yeah. when we can only control the controllables here. And so using that concept of control the controllables, what are those things that you do have control over? How can we leverage it to help kids? And again, I know districts are all over the map here. There's districts that I've, I've connected to that are like, we're done. Like we were going to try and help feed kids. They're hundred percent free and reduced lunch. They can't provide access to technology for, you know, they they can't provide the hotspots. They can't provide the infrastructure. They don't have it. They recognize. And they're like, we're not doing any new tech content. We just can't. And then I know districts to the flip side, that's like, here's your schedule. You're following your exact stage schedule. You're going to have the exact, and, and like there's zero flexibility. And yeah, that might work really, really well for the privileged few, but for many kids that don't have or can't do, or their family home life doesn't suit that. Yeah. I mean, we've got to even be, think down to right now we're doing a zoom. You see me sitting in my office. I see you sitting in your office. What if I'm a child that's 10 years old or any age that's doing a zoom call and behind them, is the complete poverty in which they live. Right. Like if we're not conscious about that, like think about that. I might be a child and now I'm embarrassed. So like, and maybe we're yelling like, well, why aren't you doing the video calls? Like, well, because maybe they're like not comfortable showing the home behind what they're looking at because they're embarrassed. And like, maybe that's never crossed my mind as a teacher because I've never lived in poverty. And so we've got to be uber conscious about those kinds of things. Going back to the data piece, let me give another resource, the Future of Privacy Forum, fpf.org. Privacy is so key here. Um, I testified in front of Congress a couple of years ago related to student data privacy. And anytime I would mention data, we got to connect with privacy there as well. Um, fpf.org is a great resource. I work with them um, nonstop, honestly. But they've got a lot of great things around here right now about like data and protecting data. Like how many times are we seeing the Zoom screens on social media with all the little pictures and all the little kids' names Here's where they go to school. Like, we got to be really careful about that. Yeah. Or, you know, we're recording something and we're recording kids that are having conversation. Like, do we have permission to do that? Or don't we have permission to do that? And so we've got to be really careful about that stuff. But at the end of the day right now, it's really deciding what's the data we absolutely need? What's the data that can really help kids in this given scenario? Um, what are ways that we can ensure equity in that process and make sure we're not measuring how much support they have at home instead of like trying to measure what we really want to measure? Um, but then also making sure that privacy is on our radar related to that. What are the things we can share, can't share online, recorded? There's so many facets to that that also relate to data. Yeah, and and coming back to that idea of grading also, much of grading in the past has been about just participation or completing assignments. And so I would say if you're not doing something that's competency-based or standards-based already, 
moving in that direction would be a great idea at this time because that's all that you really can measure. You know, that, that can filter out some of that privilege and some of that support they have at home. Not all the time. You know, if the parents sit next to them doing the work with them, you know, that's going to be really tough. But there are ways for you to focus on what they can do instead of what they have completed. You know, like yeah. what are your skills, not what assignments have you done? And so taking that different approach can certainly help you, you pay attention to the right thing. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's really well said there. So lots of great comments here. I'm trying to look at the um, the chat there as well, and I love you guys sharing resources, sharing things that are you're doing, things that are working for you all. You know, I think we need to really have the mindset together of, of we really are in this together. Um, and the more we can problem solve and come up with ideas, but also recognizing everybody's community is different, everybody's district is different. What works in one place might not work at all in another place. Um, I am so proud to call myself an educator and just seeing the incredible things that people are doing across the country. You know, even outside, just just uh, last night, my, my son's kindergarten teacher put out the day before, and she's an amazing teacher, full disclosure, she really is, but she put out the night before, hey, moms and dads, we've been doing this now for a couple of weeks. I want to do a parent forum. We'll do a Zoom meeting where we can all kind of see each other. And I really just want to ask this, what's working for you? What's getting in the way not working for you? Or if you were teaching, you'd say, do this differently and give us some feedback because we're trying and we're in this together. And, you know, and just hearing the conversations and hearing parents kind of talking about like, we're really struggling with this. We're both working. We don't have somebody that can sit, you know, and just hearing what the problems were. I had such, um, I really was just so impressed by her mindset of like, hey, I'm going to do a 30 minute parent meeting just to say, I care. I want some feedback. I mean, that opens her up to be vulnerable because, you know, you could have somebody being like, this is terrible and it's not high enough. And the next person saying you're giving too much. And, you know, and you could open that can of worms. But what I, what I can tell you is, and there were some questions along those lines. One parent said, I don't think you should be doing anything new between now and the end of the year. And the next parent said, like, I don't feel like you're giving enough. And so, like, those kinds of things can happen. And she did an amazing job of just navigating, look, like, I know your kids are doing the best that you can. You reach out to me or, you know, let's talk if you have, you know, other issues related to that and those things there as well. The other thing around the data question that I would say is we have to be very, very on top of special education. We have to be very on top of those kinds of things. My daughter has a, um, and I'll just share this, um, I, my daughter has a 504, my son has an IEP. I'll tell you the district in which where, where we live has been great in reaching out and they're doing some things on Zoom and kind of one-on-one. -on -one. I do feel in my gut that, um, Special ed lawyers are possibly salivating at this point, like waiting for district didn't do their job, full quarter and a half, you owe this compensation. And so, yeah, the mindset of how many of us have said, like, we're in this together and we're doing the best that we can. Like, yeah, put it up against special ed law. You didn't meet the accommodations. You didn't do that. So I know districts have been scrambling like crazy to make sure that they do everything they can. But please make sure your most vulnerable students are at the front of the radar. And so when we look at data, you know, is there data for, from a special ed end that we still need to be collecting? Do we need to modify the IP? Do we know, you know, need to work with parents? But I think there can be a human tendency to shy away from those situations. And like, well, maybe they just won't notice. And we'll just kind of do the best that we, we got to be really careful with that. And I would say, like, be proactive active in those situations and not reactive or just fingers crossed the parents don't say anything. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, all related to data in that regard. Uh, I, I think, you know, overall on data, I think historically in our country, we've over collected and underutilized data. We do a really good job of collecting lots of stuff 
and then just doing what we were going to do anyway afterwards. And yeah, I'm talking about myself when I say that. I don't mean that in any sort of context anyway. How many times did I did that, do that, right? So if you're going to collect it, make sure it's purposeful, make sure it's intentional. And I would keep the underlying theme. How's this going to help the kid? And then I would also say, how are we communicating it with families as well? Um, not just buzzwording bingo everything we do, but if we're collecting it. There's a rationale there. Well, then how do we communicate how that benefits the kid to the parents and parents can understand there too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it opens up up the door for them to say, you know, I want to be in charge of my own learning and be able to articulate what I'm learning and collecting my own data and understanding what I'm learning. You know, just yesterday, I learned how to use a different tool called Zapier to uh, move a board, a card on a Trello board to a different card, and then be able to send out emails based on that, pulling data from different Google Sheets. Like, this is something that I've never done before, didn't know how to do before yesterday, and nobody was excited as me that I learned how to do that. Like you're listening to this right now and you're like, what are you even talking about? But for me to learn that was a monumental, felt amazing, so grateful for that opportunity. If a teacher would have given me that assignment, it would have been lame. I would have done it as quick as I could and moved on with my life. But because it was something that I needed personally, it was worth the hour and a half that it took for me to really get down and figure it out and troubleshoot it. And those kinds of opportunities are still happening. Whether we are giving assignments or not, kids are still figuring things out and still learning, even if we don't think that they are. So I think that is an assumption we need to make is that kids are still learning, not that all hope is lost because they're not coming into our buildings anymore. They yes. still learn, and it's very possible for them too. So Jethro, it's really interesting. This this crisis, and that's what it is, it's a crisis, is going to force us to reevaluate some of the kind of traditional structures and mindsets that we've always had. Like, how do we look at this period of time, which will be a few months, and to see the amazing things that are happening at home, how teachers are saying like, well, instead of just doing one through 35, the odds for the fourth day in a row, tonight, go outside and measure your house and draw their, whatever it is. It's just different and trying to make, and teachers are doing an amazing job of trying to make things experiential, trying to make things different, trying to think like, well, what could they do at home, right? How do we not rethink homework? after we've seen the amazing things that are happening here, right? And I'm not gonna to, to just go all down the homework path there as well, but like they're doing everything as homework at this point and it's shown what's possible. So if we just jump right back to kind of what we've always done, I think it's a missed opportunity in that regard because it's showing and teachers are proving every day like what they weren't comfortable with two months ago almost is just now the norm. And sometimes I started a teacher yesterday. She's like, I realized like I'm looking forward to this. And she said, I've asked my class, teacher I connected with yesterday, I've asked my class, what are the best things that you're seeing about remote learning? And it was like fourth grade, like this wasn't seniors. What's the best thing that you've enjoyed about this? And the kids came up with a list. And she said, okay, that's my goal. Looking at those things, how do I incorporate everything they're loving right now when we're all sitting back in a classroom, whatever it might be in the fall, whatever it might be next year. And so that's a great, how do we leverage the great things that are happening? And, you know, teachers are doing an amazing job recording things, doing lessons. I know my kids' teachers are like recording lessons, putting it out there for kids. That's an insane amount of work. But next year, 
you're going to have all these resources at your fingertips of like, I, I don't got to recreate that. I can go do this. And so it's, it's also choosing your lens to see the positives in these situations. When I was working with principals earlier today, there were assistant principals. And let me tell you, when I was an assistant principal, you deal with the, like the stuff in explanation points quite often. It's the discipline. It's like so many things in that. And we can talk about, yeah, they need to be the instructional leaders. And like, I get it. But the reality is like, you're tracing down a kid sometimes for six hours. Right. And so Right now, what are those glimpses of brilliance that you're seeing? What are those moments of success? If you're that teacher, what are the things that are happening that you're just smiling, being like, I am so darn proud of that kid or that? Take some time to celebrate that. If we focus on the three kids out of 20 that aren't logging in, and yes, they need to be a focus, and yes, we need to check in on them, but what about the 17 that logged in as second graders and got connected and listened to whatever the case might be, let's choose our lens wisely here. And every day, every day coming out is an opportunity to model what we're expecting and to model, you know, if I'm that teacher, how do you model what it could look like online to your kids? If I'm that principal, how do you model if you're preaching relationships to your teachers right now, which I'm sure you are, as you should be, well, how are you modeling that with your staff? You can't tell them to go do it if you're not doing it yourself as the principal. And so right now is a great opportunity to model. And I think just kind of, I know we're, we're over time here, but I was going to say, you know, I think just in, a, in kind of a final thought, every child that's currently living through this crisis right now, that's in our schools and literally around the world, every one of them, in my opinion, will remember this period of time for the rest of their lives, mm. which means it's also an amazing opportunity. And so in the first podcast I did for Future Ready with Marlon Stiles, he talked about how obstacles bring opportunities. We got a heck of a lot of obstacles right now, but I really believe your legacy is built in those moments like you don't know what to do. And let me just say, that's like every day right now, right? Mm -hmm. I certainly don't mean that in a condescending way. I'm just, you're making decisions left and right that you're like, you've never had to do before. Like you didn't take the course in whatever college or whatever master's or whatever doctor program on like how to teach during a pandemic online and switch it overnight in two days. Like you didn't read that paragraph. It wasn't there. Right. And so when I think about like these scenarios, let's give ourselves the grace to fail forward. Let's try new things. Like if we're at a time right now, and let me back up. When I say try new things, I'm not recommending here's 50 new tools class that you need to go do. Like what's that out of the box thing that you were like, you know, if we had the time I really would love kids to just try this. Like if we can't do that right now, like we're missing an opportunity. Like if we're not going to try something and step out right now, that's, that's different. Like we are never going to do it. Why? Because I think educators on the whole, now I don't know your principal, your superintendent. Uh, and I get there's, there's toxic leadership out there. I fully get that. But now's the time to take a risk. Now's the time to try a different type of experience. And if it doesn't go so well, that's okay that's okay. And be vulnerable. And like, Hey gang, that didn't go as, as I thought it would go yesterday. But you guys know that feeling when you're working on something and it doesn't work, you know, that feeling. And that's all right. We're going to try it this way today. Kids respect that. And principals, teachers really respect that when you're doing it. superintendents, principals, and your team really respects that there as well. So it's okay to be vulnerable. We need to have empathy. We need to leverage all the tools and all the resources. And I'll talk about that in one moment there, if we could, but at the end of the day, going to, going to back to your pillow at night, knowing that you did the best that you can for kids, smile, take a breath and take care of yourself. So two final pieces, Jethro, if we could on mine before we wrap up. One is self-care. You are the kind of people that you go and you go and you go and you go and you give until you've got nothing left. Remote learning does not mean working 24 hours, seven days a week. Like as when I ran that virtual school, I will tell you, I had to get hit upside my head being like, you need to disconnect because you're not being a dad right now. 
right? And so I needed kind of that wake up call. And so making sure that you're setting boundaries as a teacher, setting boundaries as a principal to say, you know what, four o'clock, I am done and I'm not looking at it tonight. I'll look at it first thing tomorrow in the morning because I'm gonna have a movie night with my babies tonight. Or whatever the case might be, like you need to set those boundaries and you need to take care of yourself. Because like going and going and going and doing like whatever it takes for kids in quotes, does not mean you run over yourself in the process. And with things like remote learning, you'll get those messages round the clock. And I know educators, especially admin, are used to messages and emails round the clock, but it doesn't need to mean you need to respond to it at eight o'clock at night. Take care of yourself in the process. Disconnect on weekends. Get yourself outside. Because we, really more than ever before, we need those connections. You know, this idea of social distancing, I despise that phrase. It is totally wrong. Physical distancing, yeah, 100%, we need that. Social distancing is the complete opposite. So stay connected to those folks, stay connected to friends and family, disconnect from work, because as an educator, you need that. Let me give a couple of resources just for you all. They're all totally free, there's no catch. Um, first, related to Future Ready Schools, especially for admins, so check out futureready.org. We don't sell a darn thing. We work to support school and district leaders across the country. We support five strands, so especially if you fall in one of these categories, district leadership, principals, instructional coaches, also kind of lead teachers in that area there, librarians and tech leaders. Those are kind of like our main focus areas. There's not a just specific teacher strand. And part of it is because that is just so broad of every category, every grade level, every subject area. You know, there's so much to it, but um, check that out. Lots of tools and resources there. The second one is with the la my last book, Personal and Authentic, I put together over a hundred resources, all totally free. You do not need the book, but if you go to thomascmurray.com, slash authentic edu there's so many tools resources articles videos basically when i train staff i put everything together kind of in one spot and i just put it out there for people saying like look if i'm using it and here's the videos i'm using here's the articles i'm using here's the things that support you now if you're a, a third grade teacher there, there might not be a whole lot of useful stuff for you in there but if you're doing anything where you're leading people or you're doing anything as an administrator um, but check those out lots of things on equity lots of things to push our thinking um, encourage you to check those out there's no catch there's nothing for sale there it's not meant to be a sales pitch by any means um, and jethro i guess before i turn it back to you because i know we are over time here um, I just simply want to say thank you for the work that you do. You know, if here you are on the Zoom, you've got a million things going on today. You decided to just pause your day just to even listen in. And so I simply want to say thank you for the work that you do every single day. You are life changers. You are the people that go to bed worried at night about other people's kids. And like that totally speaks to your heart and to who you are. So I simply just want to say thank you because I've got empathy for the, how difficult the work is. I've got empathy for the amount of hours that you put in, the amount of sleepless nights that you have and how hard you're working because I fully get it. And with that, take care of yourself because you absolutely deserve it. So thanks for what you do every day. I'm hoping those resources, those tools are just some ideas. Again, as I started at the beginning, I didn't come out this in the last 40 minutes of like, here's all your answers. It's simply let's work together to break down silos, to share ideas, to share practices, and let's fail forward in that process. You can do this. You know, really together, it's for the kids that we serve. That's why we do what we do. This work is not about us. It's about the children we serve. So thanks for what you do every day. Yeah, thank you so much, Tom, for being part of this. Uh, my final comment is you need to make sure in this, as you mentioned, that you're working from home, not living at work like it's really easy for work to take over your life. So make sure that you're putting things in place to support yourself. We're gonna be doing this again next week. And so I put my number in the chat. You can text me your questions for next week. Um, hopefully it'll work out better than it did this week and we'll be able to use 
uh, use it how we plan. But if not, we're going to have a backup plan and we're still going to be here for you. Um, just want to tell you all, thank you so much. And again, um, let you know that if you are a high school leader and doing something around commencement this year that's a little bit different, check out guestcommencementspeeches.com. Also free, connecting you with great guest speakers to make commencement memorable for your students. Once again, Tom, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, and uh, appreciate your time and your support of doing these kinds of things. Thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.